Hello, and welcome to Eyes on Success, a weekly program of information on the ever-changing world of accessibility. Now here are the hosts of this program, Nancy Goodman Torpe and Peter Torpe. Hello, I'm Nancy. And I'm Pete. This week, we'll be talking with a military veteran whose life was changed at the age of 23 when he was blinded by a bullet shot to the head. We'll talk with Michael Somson about how he worked through the many resulting challenges to become a successful lawyer, judge, professor, and father. But first for our tip of the week. This week's tip comes from Michael Somson. You know, you just have to kind of figure things out. I think that's the key to success is you got to figure it out. And we've heard similar advice from many of our guests in previous shows. You really have to become a problem solver as a visually impaired person, but those skills can also be very useful in many other aspects of life. Learn to work out problems, propose solutions, and think creatively about what can be done. Let's start by meeting Michael and learning a little bit about his background. My name is Michael Thompson. Uh, it's spelled S-O-M at the end. And you wear many hats. You were first described to us as a judge and a triathlete, and I know that only hits the tip of the iceberg. How would you describe yourself? Well, I think I'm just, uh, you know, I'm a middle-aged American that wasn't born here originally, but born in another country. I immigrated here at the age of five from the country of Laos. Uh, I kind of grew up everywhere in the United States and actually overseas because my parents and relatives were in the military uh, and they did government service. So, uh, you know, uh, throughout my life, I've just been kind of evolving from immigrant to being raised as an American. Uh, that's why I value, you know, this great country that's given me and my family so much. Um, and that's why I went into the military afterwards, served my country, got injured, uh, came out, and then uh, I had to fight to basically, you know, transform myself from a person with sight to a person who did not have sight. And we'll be talking in the rest of the show about how you overcame some of those challenges and made everything work out and now lead a pretty exciting life. Certainly a rewarding life. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure if it's exciting. Some people consider, you know, the things I do a little insane, or maybe not. (laughs) You are listening to Eyes on Success. Success, 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 success. This week's focus topic is Michael's experiences as a soldier, lawyer, judge, professor, and more. So tell us what your role was in the military when you joined. My role in the military was I was a medical service officer, which basically, uh, it's kind of hard to describe, but basically you're, you're a person that, that coordinates all of the medical logistics from Band-Aids to uh, medical transport vehicles to medical uh, helicopters that are on the battlefield. You know, that was my responsibility. And as you mentioned initially, you were fully sighted, of course, being in the military, but your blindness resulted from a military injury, I take it. I was in the military, 
but the injury itself was when uh, it was considered in the line of duty because of the nature of the circumstances. It wasn't on like a, a combat field scenario. In fact, it, it resulted from a off-base domestic dispute that um, resulted in myself and some friends breaking up a fight in an apartment complex in Austin, Texas. And what was the extent of your vision loss? Were you made completely blind by this incident? Well, well the, the, the injury that, that caused my blindness was, was that um, in that fight, the person that, um, that we stopped the fight with, he went and got a gun, and he came up and he shot me in the head while I was in the car. Wow. You're lucky to be alive, it sounds like. So, right. When that happened, basically, it severed both my optic nerves and basically tore apart my retina in both eyes. I think the cornea was also damaged in one of the eyes. And now it's pretty much I have a little bit of light perception in one eye, preferably the left eye, but the other eye is all gone. So walk us through what happens in the military when they come across an injury like that. I mean, I understand their facilities for taking care of people are pretty good. They're used to dealing with, you know, people who were in action, who had severe difficulties and injuries. What all happens? Right. Well, whether, whether it's in CONUS, which is in the kind of United States where you're deployed overseas, you know, you go through the same process. You go through a medical evaluation board where they evaluate, you know, what's extent your injuries. Uh, here nowadays, they're trying to keep more soldiers in the military, even people who have uh, severed limbs. You know, whatever that may be, to stay in the military, but, you know, maybe hold a desk job versus a field job. For me, I was medevac to Brook Army Medical Center, uh, which is in San Antonio, Texas. I think I went through, like, over 13 surgeries to stabilize my condition. Wow. And, um, and in that process, you know, I was in a coma for four weeks, uh, intensive care for about another two months with all these surgeries. And eventually, once they stabilized me, I stayed at the hospital for about eight months before they shipped me back to Arizona for rehab. So once you got over that initial trauma and the many surgeries, which took a long time, as you say, you had to decide what you wanted to do next in life. And now that you could no longer see, how did you approach that decision and how did the military help you make that choice? Well, I don't think the military really helps you with any of those choices. You know, anytime a veteran gets injured, you know, they just, they out-process it. I mean, they certainly try to help you uh, in terms of um, trying to get you connected to a, uh, what we, we call a veteran service officer. And you have different types of veteran service officers. Some are paralyzed vets, some uh, uh, working directly in the VA. And they're called uh, bros, which is basically a, uh, basically applying rehab specialist, you know, it all depends on your injuries. Um, and they try to just basically get you integrated in terms of the medical services. But in terms of employment, there's there's really no direct programs for that. You're your own master in terms of what you want to pursue. Nobody tells you that you're, you're going to be a carpenter, you're going to be a teacher uh, or a rocket scientist. You know, it, it's up to you. And then for me, when I got... Um, out of military, you know, I, I got visited by the, the folk rehab person. He initially asked me to be a counselor, and I just said I, I could be a counselor because I don't know if I have the patience for it. <laughs> <laughs> 
The voc rehab person was the vocational rehabilitation counselor, right? Correct. That does appeal to certain personalities, I would guess. And if you're not that personality. Right. I mean, I, was, I, mean, I think counselors are important. But for me at the time, you know, I was 23 years old, totally blind, you know, a lot of anger, a lot of resentment in what happened. Right. And I don't think I could, I could have been a really effective counselor then. Right. But I did, you know, and I thought about the law because, you know, I, I wanted to see some justice. Once you decided you wanted to pursue a career in the law, what kind of support did you get from the military and the Veterans Administration in pursuing your educational goals? And to be honest, off the bat, the Vogue Rehab individual told me that I was I couldn't be a lawyer because I'm blind. It's not feasible because there's a lot of reading, uh, a lot of research. And he basically said, it's impossible for you for to be a lawyer. It's going to be too hard, Michael. Why don't you pick something that's easier? I mean, he, he was trying to be gentle with me, but at the same time, he just didn't really know who my personality was. And that's an interesting reaction. You know, we know blind individuals can do a lot more than some sighted individuals think they can do. And some of these fields really are open. There are, you know, few barriers that you can't overcome as a blind individual. Right, I agree. And that's why you have a community such as yourself with making these podcasts that hopefully other blind people will listen to and say, oh, you know, uh, this here's a blind attorney. You know, here's the path he took. And, and that's what I did was I researched a whole bunch of blind attorneys, and I just started writing to them and calling them and saying, hey, what do I have to do to become a lawyer? Uh, a blind lawyer, albeit, and there was a few that were extremely helpful. They said, well, you get a good LSAT. Here's how you study for the LSAT. You know, uh, here's how you pick law schools, and here's how you're going to study, and you know, everything. And, of course, I mean, it was up to me to do the, the work. But in the end, you know, like you said, as long as you set your mind to something, you can do it. Michael mentioned that he did an internet search for various blind attorneys and contacted several of them, and they were very helpful to him. Well, I also did a Google search for blind attorneys, and I discovered that there are several groups of blind attorneys, and if you're interested in contacting blind attorneys, this might be an easier way to find multiple blind attorneys who are interested in helping prospective newcomers to the field. And one of them is through the National Foundation for the Blind, and the other is through the American Council of the Blind. So you had to be very proactive in getting the ball rolling and do a lot of research yourself. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely, because like the VA, my voc rehab instructor is like, I'm not signing off on this plan because he wanted a set plan because in voc rehab, they say, okay, you're going to be, you know, fill in the blank, and it's going to take you this amount of years. It's going to cost us this amount. And here's what you need for, quote-unquote, support. You know, computers, human beings, you know, whatever. And he said, I'm not going to sign off on this program because you're not accepted to the law school. So I, that was my first obstacle. So I said, okay, I'll be back. So, you know, I went and got all the research done. And I took the LSAT, um, did well. My grades from undergrad were good. And I had good references. And the interesting thing is when I applied to the U of A, University of Arizona, first time, they rejected me, even though I had great credentials. I mean, this is like eight months after I got out of the hospital, so almost like 16 months after I got shot. But they said that you're too recently injured. I think the words they used were you're too recently blind. 
and we do not think you're going to succeed in law school. Wow. So then I got rejected, which, you know, and then I was like, hmm, you know, a little disappointed. But I went and talked to the admissions director, and she said, Michael, go back to graduate school or school and show us that you can be a, a blind student. So that way, when you come to law school, you'll be a successful blind law student. You know, and that's the first step to being a lawyer. She'll say, okay. So I, that's what I did. I went back for one year of graduate school and, you know, I took courses like statistics and just courses that normally a blind person should not be taking. And I took constitutional law at the graduate level, one and two. I did really well. And then so after a year of grad school, I reapplied to the law school and I got immediately accepted. So you must have had to learn a lot of skills in the process of doing this. I mean, if you were newly blinded, I presume you had to learn to use a screen reader. I don't know if you learned Braille. Correct. Well, I, I did have to learn, like, um, you know, you just have to kind of figure things out. I think that's the key to success is you got to figure it out. I mean, like, for instance, I'll give you an example. For the LSAT, which is the law school admissions test, okay, it's kind of like the GRE or the GMAT or um, you know, other graduate programs. But the LSAT, they have a portion on there where you do logical reasoning uh, in terms of of uh, logic. They call it logic. They still have it. But basically, they have like scenarios like, you know, Nancy and Peter are two postmen. They deliver packages A, B, C, D, and E. On certain days, they deliver this package. On certain days, they deliver this package. And this time, and that time, it's like, you know, if you were a psych person, you can graph it out. Right. Correct? Yes. You can put it on a spreadsheet and you can break it down really fast. Okay, but if you're blind, totally blind, how the heck do you do that? For me, I had to kind of figure that out when I was going through my testing. And, uh, you know, I was very fortunate that my younger sister was a graduate teacher. And, you know, her specialty was biology and science. So she, you know, we developed this board, like a Velcro board, where I could put things on like a, on like a spreadsheet. Oh, neat. And I put little foam Velcro pieces. So I can map things out, and then, you know, my reader was reading me the problem set. I could map it out. So once I mapped it out, I said, okay, Peter does not deliver package A on Tuesday. That's the answer. Mm-hmm. And, of course, all those tests are, are timed. You can imagine, you know, that portion of the test is Velcro flying everywhere. Because <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm trying to figure out the answer really fast, right, and give it to my uh, assistant. But you figure it out. That's the whole thing. Right. You know, the same way, you know, in statistics, I took advanced statistics, and I was like, oh, man, how am I going to do this? And there's, like, formulas that are two pages long. Yes. But the thing is, you just, you know, you just problem solve. And that's what I did. I had a uh, reader assistant who was a Ph.D. candidate for economics, you know, for economics, and we broke it down. We figured out how to use a talking scientific calculator and how to save certain portions and and then come back, loop around, and add to the, the formula. It was great. I mean, it worked out perfectly, you know, but I had to figure that out. We've heard from many people whom we've interviewed that one of the aspects of being blind and trying to do things that maybe aren't as easy is that you really need to become a good problem solver. You're faced with challenges, and you just have to figure out how to make it work. Oh, Absolutely. Absolutely, have to be a problem solver. Well, I mean, in general, even if you're not, you're not blind. You, I think that's how you see you see people who are successful is that they can problem solve. It doesn't matter uh, how fast and 
you know, and how well they can communicate their solutions to other people and get them to adopt it. And, and that's pretty much what I do as a lawyer. You know, you're always problem solving for your client and trying to convince the judge or whoever is hearing your case to take your side. So you mentioned that the military was at first not keen to sign on to your plan to become an attorney, but then you started going to school. I suppose they supported you with screen readers and some of the support you needed to get through school. They did. Well, I mean, I learned how to use the Braille light, learned how to use the Perkins Brailler, you know, and, I mean, and these are just academic stuff. You know, you don't think about all the, the everyday living stuff, like, you know, um, like trying to match your socks. And my roommate was actually my sister that I told you about. And I think uh, she had mixed her laundry with mine. I, I took a T-shirt out of there and we're kind of like the same size. But, you know, I was wearing a pink T-shirt, you know, with a bright, you know, yellow stuff. <laughs> you know, one day in, on campus, we could say, oh, nice shirt, nice shirt. But eventually I was like, okay, what is going on with this shirt? <laughs> you know, and they're like, hey, man, you're wearing a really bright pink shirt with, you know, uh, it's nice, but I think it's, I think it's a girl shirt. <laughs> oh, okay. Well, you certainly learned a lot in a short period of time between the technical aspects of learning to deal with no vision going to school, but then, as you say, there's a lot to learn in life that we don't think about. No, it's true. No, I mean, I mean, it's just like learning how to walk on campus with no sight it scared the heck out of me. I mean, I remember I was just walking by myself, you know, uh, during, you know, change of campus, you know. Any campus, and then there's change in an hour, there's a lot of people. You know, and sometimes you just, it's, it's hard to navigate with so much noise. And I remember somebody had, and they didn't, they didn't do this intentionally. I mean, I was just, you know, walking with the king, and they kicked my king out of my hand across the walkway. And I was like, oh, you know, yeah. <laughs> I was like, okay, how am I going to do this without getting piled over from the other side of people who are walking the other direction, right? Right. Well, you know, the people are nice on campus. Like, they saw it, and like, okay, here's your king. Sorry, you, you, you need a guy. You know, it's just stuff that you have to learn. Yes, you're right. Um, yeah, I mean, you have to figure it out and problem solve, as, you know, what your wife stated. So you eventually did get your law degree and began practicing law. Can you tell us about your first position? Well, first of all, I'll, I'll take a step back. Okay, I'm, I'm Asian American, okay, and I've never really felt like discrimination per se. You know, when I had disability, I realized that people treated me differently. I didn't think it was discrimination, but I think even in our general public view, they have a view that some people, like certain people with disabilities, like blindness, that you can't do certain things. And, and in law school, when I was doing well, and you have to like interview for jobs. Mm-hmm. Okay, I was in the top ten percent of my class. Okay, and usually everybody in law school is pretty bright, you know, and that's why they're at law school. But even with being at ten percent of my class, I would do these job interviews, and and I'm not making this up. I'm going to go into interview to this one law firm. I'm not going to name the law firm, but I walked in there and under their breath, said, "Oh my gosh, he's blind." That quickly becomes apparent. Yes, <laughs> you can't hide it. Yeah, but I was like. I was just, you know, I was mad, you know. I mean, and I and I knew that they're going to hold my disability against me. Yeah, I mm-hmm. bet. This is regardless of the fact that I'm at the ten percent of my class. Right. 
and we've heard stories like yours before. And, you know, Pete was really lucky because he was blind when he finished graduate school and he went to apply for jobs and didn't put anything on the application until he showed up for the interview. And his prospective hiring manager said, oh, you're blind. Well, I guess if you can get through graduate school being blind, you got to be pretty competent. Absolutely. And gave him the job. So that's one way of reacting. But um, unfortunately, the reactions you got weren't isolated, I assume. Well, you think that people in the law would be more progressive in terms of how they view uh, certain problems. Yes. So I was I was kind of shocked. You know, I mean, it wasn't like I was applying for NASA. I mean, I was, you know, I mean, I was applying for something that I know I've done. And, and I had some good job experiences. And just all the... You know, all my internships and jobs, I learned how to adjust my life. I mean, it wasn't easy because, I mean, you know, uh, practicing law requires a lot of attention to detail. You know, as a young lawyer, you're still trying to learn what those details are. Uh, but I know um, when I went to my first job, you know, I was a prosecutor of the Attorney General's office. That was my first job. Oh. So I worked as a prosecutor there. They basically... Um, came in on child abuse and child neglect cases. And you later on went on to become a judge, is that right? Uh, a part-time judge, correct, correct. Now I'm actually uh, teaching law, which is uh, actually short this one semester, and that's usually quite rewarding. Well, that's pretty neat. That sounds like a lot of fun. Did you run into pushback as a blind judge? You know, people make jokes about blind justice and stuff. No, I think the interesting thing about being a uh, blind judge actually is that you you can't judge people for what they look like, which is great. You know, you judge them on on the facts and how they present their arguments. But sometimes, you know, uh, we we have a tendency in our society to judge people for what they look like. Are they pretty? Are they ugly? Or... So you've used it as somewhat of a benefit then, not being able to see who you were judging. Yeah, I mean, you, you have to you have to just take the facts as, as it is. And I know sometimes when we were out as a judge and they were in the courtroom, <laughs> they would try to, like, present me with pictures. So I'd say, okay. Um, and I would tell them I'm visually impaired, so you have to describe this picture, which is good. They have to describe the picture, you know, which is, you know, good for the record. But at the same time, it, it's, you know, it puts everybody almost like an even keel. Yeah, that is interesting. You know, I was manager at, Xerox of a group that was responsible for image processing and making prints look good at Xerox. And I think it worked as an asset because everybody on the team had to describe what they saw. And when you have to put your ideas into words, it makes you really think about it and be a little bit more objective. It was an interesting experience. No, I absolutely agree. And it was interesting because um, I gained a different perspective, you know, as, as a judge and as a, because I was on the other side of the bench. So you've talked about your employment, but I understand that you also do some volunteer work. Can you talk about that? Sure. I, you know, I think one of the other things that's great about life is that you should always give back. You know, you should always, whatever you've learned or whatever skills that you've learned, you should always give back uh, to the community. Uh, and for me, um, you know, the, the VA, the military, uh, the organizations that support those people have always given me um, a lot of support. So what I do is for um, the state bar, I'm a volunteer lawyer with 
you know, the military assistance project, which helps out uh, active duty as well as retired uh, military and your family members with legal problems, whatever they may be. Um, the other thing I volunteer at is uh, Modest Means. Modest Means is a program for people who can't afford attorneys. You have a lot of young soldiers, young military service members who are coming out of the military with their families. And, you know, they don't have a lot of money, and they may still have pressing legal issues that need to be resolved. So that's something I do with the state bar, but I have also, uh, right now, I'm, I'm on the board of uh, the Arizona Center for Disability Law, which is a nonprofit that's dedicated to legal advocacy for people with disabilities. And I wanted to come back to a point that you made earlier on in the interview about the fact that when you had just recently turned blind and your vocational rehab counselor was telling you, well, you ought to be a social worker or a counselor and just couldn't fathom the idea of you being an attorney. And, you know, we've seen that attitude a lot from other people. And part of the reason we do this show is to illustrate to people that there really are a wide diversity of opportunities and almost any opportunity is available to visually impaired people if they want to pursue that career. We've done many episodes of this show over the past seven and a half years talking to blind professionals in various fields like sciences, pharmacy, and other professions. So the doors are wide open if you want to pursue these opportunities and put the word employment into our search field and come up with interviews we've done with some of these blind professionals. If there's a particular career path that you're interested in, more information in, put that into the search field as well. And if you don't find it, send us an email at hosts at eyes on success and suggest that we do a show about that topic and we're likely to do it. Don't let people tell you what can't be done. You can tell them what can be done. Now for this week's final item, how to reach Michael Somson, how to learn more about him, and information about some of the organizations he volunteers with. So I know you have a website that's full of information. Can you give our listeners that website? It's www.michaelthompson.com. M-I-C-H-A-E-L. Thompson is S-O-M, as in Mary, S-A-N, dot com. It's a website we created for Kona. But, you know, at the same time, if you go to, if you Google Blind Iron Man, my name will come up. And certainly, you can give your listeners my email address, you know, which is michael.thompson at gmail.com. I will certainly respond in kind, and uh, I'm always willing to help out. Great. He mentioned that his website was set up specifically regarding his participation in the Kona Ironman Triathlon, and we'll be talking about that with him next week. And in the show notes associated with this week's episode, we'll not only have links to some of the organizations that Michael volunteers for, but we'll also have links to the associations of blind attorneys at NFB and ACB. So you can find that all as usual at www.eyesonsuccess.net. That's it for show number 1837. 
Next week on Eyes on Success, we'll continue the conversation with Michael Sampson, only next week we'll be talking about his athletic pursuits. He mentioned that he's participated in full Ironman triathlons, and that is a major undertaking, and we'll talk with him about that, as well as some of the special challenges faced by blind athletes in these extreme sporting events. If you have any questions regarding something you've heard about on the show or you'd like to share an idea for a future show, send an email to hosts at eyesonsuccess.net or call us at 585-210-8094. You've been listening to Eyes on Success, hosted and produced by Nancy Goodman Torpy and Peter Torpy and distributed by WXXI Reach Out Radio. Browse the full archive of programs, find instructions for subscribing to the podcasts, and much more at www.eyesonsuccess.net. You can also find us on iTunes and follow us on Facebook at Eyes on Success or Twitter at underscore Eyes on Success. We hope you will join us again next week for more information and updates on products for accessible living. Thanks for listening to Eyes on Success and have a nice day.